Welcome to Playback, a Variety podcast. On today's show, we preview Variety's Actors on Actors series, featuring stars like Tom Hanks, Viola Davis, Amy Adams, and Matthew McConaughey. A little bit later, I'll be talking to Captain Fantastic star Viggo Mortensen. So stick around. Alright folks, I'm back. Janelle Riley's back this week. I'm back. Did you miss me? I missed you thoroughly. <laughs> You're such a good actor. <laughs> I could have been in your Actors on Actors this you week. You could have. What a nice segue. You did that like a pro. Crushed it. That's why I am so tired today. I feel like every time I'm on this podcast, I'm complaining about how tired I am. But Saturday and Sunday... Like we work for a living. Yeah, exactly. Saturday and <laughs> Sunday, we had Actors on Actors uh, that we shot at the Max Senate Studios in Silver Lake. Um, was that a required plug? No, it wasn't. And it's really weird <laughs> I, that I mentioned that. I don't know why... It's like, an interesting space. I recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, if anyone's I think I'm just so used to having to tell people all last week where we were going to be. Yeah, probably. That it's like lodged in my mind. It was also not far from where protests were happening. Oh, uh, yes. So we had some, you know, we had to stop for, for noise quite a bit more yeah. than I think we usually would have. Yeah. And I'm just reminded this is the first podcast I've recorded post-election. Oh, my God. So if the energy is down, that might be why. Yeah. Well, what uh, tell us about actors on actors? Anything? Uh, what were yeah. some of the pairings that we had? Uh, Tom Hanks and Viola Davis. That's awesome. And yes, they we kicked off the weekend with them, so you can oh, only God. imagine. Yeah, um, and they were so lovely. They p- talked about you know both of them worked with Denzel Washington. Um, ironic. I'm, I'm, w- I'm willing to say that both of them probably will win Oscars for acting opposite Denzel Washington. Hanks won for Philadelphia. Viola's oh, yeah. going to win for Fences. Um, and of course, uh, the first thing I had to tell Tom Hanks was how much David Pumpkins means to me. <laughs> and he informed me that people now, when they drive past him on the street, instead of yelling, run, forest, run, they yell, any questions? <laughs> uh, wow. Of course, he has such a good run, sense of about it. Run, forest, run got a good... Run. Had a good run. Yeah, like a 20, <laughs> 20 year 20, 25 run. years. Yeah. It did well. Yeah, but and he also said uh, when I said, you know, I was excited to meet him, not because of all his amazing work, but because he's David Pumpkins, he was like, best reviews of my career. <laughs> that's true. I don't think anyone, other than yeah. people being annoyed with hearing about it from the fans so right. much. Yeah, you're not a David Pumpkins fan, are you? Uh, no, it's funny. I, I'm not a mean fan. <laughs> okay, that I get. I'm not a, I'm not um, a mean fan. Amazing conversation between Dev Patel for Lion and Octavia Spencer for Hidden Figures. Oh, nice. Two movies that broke out my ugly cry face. Uh, we also had Taraji P. Henson from Hidden Figures with Ryan Reynolds of Deadpool. <laughs> you heard that correctly, folks. Yes. We're an awards podcast, and we're talking about Deadpool. Uh, but they're pushing. They are. And don't you think he can get a Golden Globe nomination? I think he can. I think he can. I think the HFPA needs to recognize comedies this year in the comedy category. Um Look, they nominated The Hangover, didn't they? The Hangover might have even the Hangover won. won. Yeah. yeah, Deadpool is ten times better than The Hangover. Um, Ryan is. I don't know if I'd go that far, you know. Oh, well, we, that, that's a whole other <laughs> podcast. Um, Not a Hangover fan. Yeah, no. Um, but you know, I'm, I guess I'm just like the, that shrewish Rachel, shrewish Rachel Harris character who just doesn't want you men to have any fun. Um, but Deadpool is true comedy, and it to is. your point, and they're, Ryan's they're wonderful. And let me tell you, I don't know if there's anything this guy isn't good at because he interviewed Taraji so well and was so charming and kept things on track, and I was really impressed. Uh, Nellie Portman for Jackie, Michelle Williams for Manchester by the Sea, so lovely together. Uh, 
Another big favorite We've got Natalie was, on the podcast next week. Oh, look at that. Um, Matthew McConaughey and Jeff Bridges who had never met before. What? So I got no, to, yes! that is a lie. I know. So they, I, were, they like, were jerking your chain. I don't believe that, man. No, they were saying how they couldn't believe they'd never met before. Maybe and they were too stoned to remember it. You know, I wish that joke was made, believe <laughs> me. But they quickly became fast friends. Of course. And, I mean, someone has to cast them as like father and son or brothers or something. Something. And get Woody Harrelson involved as well. Oh my God, please, yeah. please. I, I, And they were they were wonderful together. And uh, Matthew McConaughey, of course, talked about Wooderson being sort of a spiritual uh, ancestor of the dude. And, you know, does, does he <laughs> mind that people still refer to does Jeff mind that people still call him the dude and like <laughs> they're both so good about like embracing yeah that you know absolutely that pop culture significance they have instead of being like you know it like uh, not wanting Ale- to be yeah. defined by yeah. it or whatever like Allegheny's bagging on Star Wars just breaks my heart yeah well that makes sense that he would though I guess it's yeah like, he did quite a lot before that but I, yeah I mean they're very cool about that I asked I asked Bridges about that on the podcast like yeah he, I mean it's pretty cool to be the dude yeah. I have to say um, another really cool pairing was Emma Stone and Molly Shannon and we found out that Emma who I I, I know has like always worshipped Saturday Night Live used to have a signed headshot of Molly in her bedroom what yes because she was such a fan all of these interesting things that turn out oh this was crazy so Nicole Kidman and Casey Affleck were paired mm. and Casey has been texting with Gus Van Sant because I guess he's been doing Q&A's for Manchester by the Sea the smell it to die for reference on yes. the horizon so Casey said, said Gus lives like you know just a few blocks from here texted Gus and said hey come on by I'm here with Nicole <laughs> we rap and Gus Van Sant walks into the studio and I was like, I, I can't get people to show up that where they're like supposed something. to. You just got like one of the greatest directors. That sounds like something Casey wander. would do. Yeah. Hey, come on over, man. Yeah, no, it was really, really fun. Um, I also loved Hugh Grant and Colin Farrell together. That was quite interesting. Oh, that's a change of pace. Yes. They talked about um, their mustache acting. You know, Colin has a nice mustache in The Lobster. Right. Um, Hugh Grant actually revealed he tried to grow a mustache for Florence Foster Jenkins. But as he put it, the mother of his children would not have sex with him. So he had to shave it off. Well, that's a problem. <laughs> they do have, you know, things they can apply. Yeah, I know. I just <laughs> Now I'm trying to picture what he would have looked like I, with a mustache I, Well, all I can movie. think of is in An Awfully Big Adventure, does he have a pencil thin mustache? I don't know. I don't or maybe, maybe just the character. All I've seen is Richard E. Grant in my head. <laughs> um, and um, of course, probably one of my favorites was Mahershala Ali and Greta Gerwig, who were so lovely together. Um, some other people we had, let me think, um, Annette Benning and Naomi Harris, uh, Haley Steinfeld for Edge of 17, mm-hmm. which I think opens we this about, week, yeah. which I love, and Sally Field. Oh, that Sally. That was really fun. Yeah. Oh, Hello, and then my name is Doris. Probably my favorite interaction all weekend, Michael Shannon and Adam Driver were paired together. And first of all, they're both seven feet tall. Like, they are giant, yeah, they're, giant they're, men. they're tall dudes. So I'm talking to Adam Driver, and this little boy, must have been maybe four years old, curly blonde hair, skips up to him and, like, looks him up and down, and Adam's like, you know, hello. And the little boy says, I know you're Kylo Ren. <laughs> and Adam is like, he's laughing, and he's, but, he, but he's also like, you know, he's like, he's like, oh, oh, do you? Do you, you know who that is? is? Are you okay with that? And the kid just kind of, like, looks at him, completely, like, unimpressed and skips off. <laughs> Jesus. And Adam couldn't stop giggling. It was the cutest thing ever. They could, uh, Michael and Adam could, you know, commiserate given that they Michael did. played uh Yes, General Zod. Zod. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they talked about that. And I totally forgot they were in Midnight Special together. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I witnessed uh, Ben Foster giving Michael a wet willy at the uh, Governor's Awards. Oh, yeah. Now, I did not go. Oh, I should just mention real quick, Amy Adams and Andrew Garfield were the other pair. I think I named them all. I did not go to the Governor's Awards because we were taping so late. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How it's was always it? a lovely night. It's classy. You know, it pressure's off because it's not televised. Tim and I talked about it on the show last week, the idea that they don't want, quote, campaigning to go on. It's so funny. It's like, <laughs> so well, then silly. move your show to June. Like, why? Yeah. Why do you put it in the middle of the season, provide the greatest opportunity for people to glad hand, and then tell people not to take talent around to right. shake hands? Right. Like that was going to hold. Because I mean, it works out well for us because all the talent is well, in town and we can. Absolutely. Do I've our made show. that point. The media benefits, the, obviously, the Academy benefits from making such a splash because probably wouldn't get that amount of stars in the summer. Right. You know? So it's a double edged sword, but, uh, you know, stop pretending that. There's not something that they they could do about it if yeah. they really feel so strongly about yeah exactly the the the, the scourge of campaigning. But it's it was that, a great night. Jackie Chan has an Oscar now. I mean, how can great. that not be awesome? That's great. I wish I could have seen that speech. Chris Tucker presented to him, which was great. I have a Chris Tucker story Uh-oh. if you care to hear it. That I just remember because I saw Ang Lee this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, years ago, I was. This is the name dropping episode. This is so crazy. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> so years ago I was at a party and. Uh, I, I've actually worked with Chris Tucker before many years ago and um, I was talking to Ang Lee and I said oh would you like to meet Chris Tucker and Ang Lee said yes tell him Jackie Chan's cousin wants to meet him but don't tell him it's me and then introduce me as Jackie Chan's cousin <laughs> I just love that like Ang Lee is like pranking Chris Tucker <laughs> and, I, and I couldn't tell because you know Ang Lee is just he's so impish you know, right. he's like giggling as he's saying this. And I'm like, I'm like, seriously? And I'm like, well, you know, Ang Lee said to, so I'm going to do what he says. Um, so I go up to Chris. I'm like, hey, Chris, Jackie Chan's cousin is here and he really wants to meet you. And Chris turns and what? sees us. Jackie Chan's cousin. <laughs> and he goes, I know who you are. <laughs> so he and Ang Lee start talking and, you know, Jackie Chan said, I'm sorry. Sorry. Oh, man. <laughs> Please edit that out. Uh, Chris Tucker said something to the extent they were like talking about what mutual fans they are of each other. And Chris Tucker said, hey, man, put me in a movie. And at the time, he was working on the Intouchables remake. Mm-hmm. And Ang Lee always wants to do something new. And I was like, you've never done a remake. You should direct the Intouchables remake. I am like, you know, in my mind, packaging this deal that's going to like <laughs> have me set for life. So, of course, nothing ever came of that. And it didn't even occur to me until I saw Billy Lynn this weekend. Mm-hmm. Chris Tucker is in that movie. Where's yep. my 20% there for is. getting Chris Tucker cast? You deserve something. Movie? I mean... I'm going to get on that. I got a big thank you I'm going to get Bang. on that. Okay, yes. well, that works. Yes. That works. Uh, we, You and I haven't had a chance to talk about Fences. Tim was no. on last week and we were talking about yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, uh, yeah. So everyone knows what I feel. What did you think of the movie? Oh, my gosh. I mean, like, the acting is crazy off the charts. I am such a fan of so many of the supporting actress potential nominees this mm-hmm. year, but it is going to be tough to beat Viola Davis. That, that race ended. I, I tend to think you're right. And I, I do. I, I think the Michelle Williams camp is probably a little like WTF about it. Mm. But, you know, because, again, I do think it could be argued as a lead. And they certainly would like people to argue that it is a lead. But I think it's a supporting role. I do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah but there are people can... that would think it was a lead. That's the whole point. Like, yeah. I think that, I don't think it's definitively anything. Yeah, it and could I, go I, either I way. And I truly believe, I truly believe it would have won as a lead as well. I don't know that I believe that. That's but fair. you know, I'm pretty hardcore team Emma Stone. So. Yeah, I love her too. Yeah, well, it's and it's not just about loving because I love a lot of the potential nominees, mm-hmm. but I just think Emma has all the right ingredients for this year. Well, I think Denzel's winning his third. I think so too, and I'm okay with that. 
that's probably annoying to the Manchester team too. Uh, I love Casey's work. Uh, ask me what is the better performance of these two. I might say Casey because there's, that's there's a tough call. There's there's a lot going on inside mm-hmm. Casey in that performance. I know, but that's Denzel what gets hurts the showy it. Role. That's what yeah. weirdly hurts it when it comes to a bunch of people voting on their favorite performance of the year. The thing that is full of bravado is probably going to stick out. And but even that little nuance aside this performance is sensational and he's great I, I think he's only been better maybe once in Malcolm X like that's been my favorite performance of his the whole time were you there when the little girl who plays his daughter I was the at movie? the thing you moderated yes yeah. okay uh, you know I asked her if she knew who Denzel Washington was mm-hmm. when she got the audition she's like yeah the Malcolm X guy this nine-year-old girl knew him from Malcolm X and Man on Fire and Denzel was like why are you watching those movies (laughs) and she's like it was the TV edit of Man on Fire she's cute she is and she's in Hidden Figures too Mm mm-hmm yeah, she Which is. we've seen, I don't know, we've probably talked about it a little bit, but... Uh, I don't know, because I think... I can't I s- remember. I don't think we've talked um, on the air since I saw it. When did you see it? Gosh, like a... Before the election or after the election? Before. I have this theory, and you might you might love the movie more than I do, and I don't dislike the movie. I, I really I, like I, the movie. I thought it was... Yeah. Okay, and had, had some, some great emotional elements, but uh, I feel like people who see it after the election probably respond even more to it oh i absolutely think so yeah i mean even just uh, yeah uh even seeing it just before the election and again a year after oscar's so white i was was saying before um you know we could potentially have four african-american actor winners so you think taraji can win best actress i think she has a really i think she'll get nominated Mm -hmm. um like i said i think emma stone is going to be hard to beat but i'm saying it's possible i do think Denzel, Viola, and Mahershala Ali are probably the front runners right now in their categories. I feel like supporting actor has no front runner. I mean, you if you know, had I to pick tell. one, maybe you could say Ali because I mean, I'm not unbiased here. Yeah, Mahershala. Well, Ali well I tweeted after I saw Hidden Figures that Mahershala Ali could probably talk me into the sheets. <laughs> and I, he's a charming dude. He is so charming. And, and Hidden Figures, it's yeah. he's like whoa charming. Yeah. But uh, yeah. It, that is true. And I think that if Denzel wins, that's an even bigger moment because he joins only six other actors wow. to win three Oscars. Wow. That would be a huge moment a year after everything You know, happened. and the truth is, I thought he should have won for Flight. Which, really? Yeah, I did. I really... I was I, a big fan of that movie. I loved the movie and I loved that performance. I mean, mm-hmm. I could quote from it for you today, but I won't. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and strangely enough, I believe he lost to Daniel Day-Lewis for Lincoln, Lincoln who won yeah. his third... Yeah, that's um, true, yeah. Oscar. And I mean, like, look, no one's going to argue that Daniel Day-Lewis isn't brilliant, but it just felt like an easy choice, whereas I thought Denzel It was, was an easy choice, I think, yeah. because it was an undeniable choice that year, personally. Really? I love Denzel, and I loved him in the movie, but... Uh, Boy, I just could not connect with him. You weren't a Lincoln person, yeah. okay. I loved it. I loved it. That was our. That was the last election year. Was it really? Yeah. Has it been that long? 2012. So, and then, so, oh, this is interesting. That was the Argo year. Ang Lee had a movie that year. Um, ben Affleck yeah, had a movie that Pi, year. Argo, yep. And they're both back this year. Yeah, well, I don't know if Aang is back. Well, I mean, they have movies this year. <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, I will say, I saw his movie at the Arclight Dome, um, and it was sold Billy out. Lynn. Yeah, and, yeah, and it got a very warm response. Did you feel similarly to me? Um, I agree with the... Um, I just am not a fan of the high frame rate. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, it sinks it for me. But I like so admire him for constantly pushing the boundaries. And absolutely, look, I thought I hated 3D until I saw Life of Pi. You didn't like Avatar? Not really. I thought Avatar looked great with 3D. Yeah, you know, to be honest, I might not have seen it in 3D. I'm trying oh. to remember. Yeah, that was for a long time. Yeah. That and like Tron Legacy were like I never saw a Tron handful Legacy. of movies where I thought 3D mattered. See, um, Up is the only movie I can remember seeing in 3D oh, yeah. and really thinking. By the way, have you seen Moana? Yes. Did you love it? Saw it slightly unfinished. No. Oh my god, I loved it. I thought it was very prototypical. Uh, see, I didn't... Maybe it's because, you know, I'm Polynesian. Mm-hmm. And so seeing characters that looked like my family, seeing um, the islands captured so beautifully. Well, and yet they face criticism. Yeah, that's... You know, the, what do you think of that? I don't get it. I mean, the truth is I sort of... I don't know what the exact criticism is, I can imagine, but I also think that, like, I mean, the truth is, like, we have crazy superstitions and legends mm-hmm. and beliefs, you know? It's um, a vibrant world to capture. Yeah. You know, I, I certainly thought it looked beautiful and all of the design elements were great. I just, it was just a thin story to me. But you're also talking to the guy who thought Frozen was lesser Disney. I actually am not. Like, I love Frozen, someone described it as a two hour preview for Let It Go. <laughs> and that's very much how I feel. It's not the, one of their better movies, yeah. but none of that matters because that number is so outstanding. Yeah. Um, Moana has some great numbers by Lin-Manuel Miranda, among others. Um, how Far I'll Go is the, the big one. That's what you I think. You think he's yeah. going to win? Yeah, I think he's going to EGOT you don't think he's next gonna, year. You don't think that uh, La La Land's got that? <sighs> that's a tough call. It really is. But I think, I think La La Land will win so much other stuff. People will I think be if okay. this was 1996, he would win. But yeah. but things are perceived differently. I think with that category now. So I also um, love that she didn't have a love interest. That's true. Yeah. So I didn't find it prototypical. I thought the the rock character was a little over thinly funny. I, I should guess. also confess that I saw it the day after the election. And so you were desperate. Yeah, desperate for any for good news. Any, yeah, yeah. And I sobbed the entire yeah, way through. Yeah, yeah, I can understand no, that. No, I thought it was beautiful, and I had a big smile on my face uh, for, like, hours afterwards until I, I guess the real world sunk in. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, today's interview, we're going to be talking to Vigo Mortensen. Oh, Captain Fantastic. And uh, speaking of the election, uh, keep in mind with this interview that it happened before the election. Oh, it did. That's yeah. right. So keep that in mind when we talk about the election. Uh, and stick around. Vigo Mortensen will be up right after this. over today can we take steve somewhere for class later maybe why does mommy have to be gone so long she hasn't been gone very long actually it's been three months two weeks six days and 11 hours mom is very ill don't talk to us like we're your inferiors well is right mom needs to be in the hospital right now but you said hospitals are only a great place to go if you're a healthy person and you want to die. You said Americans are undereducated and overmedicated. You said the AMA are avaricious whores only tooling to spread their fat legs for big pharma. All of those things are true, but mom does not have enough of the neurotransmitter serotonin to conduct electrical signals in her brain. Exactly when is mom coming back? That's what I'm going to go find out. 
Be good, monkey butts. See you later, Dad. Bye. Bye, guys. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Vigo Mortensen, the star of Captain Fantastic and uh, countless movies. In fact, I, I kind of want to talk about that. Uh, I, th- I think, first of all, let me say thank you for joining the show. I thank really you. appreciate that. We can talk about it, whatever, whatever you want. I'm not afraid. I've <laughs> lost my everything. fear long, long ago of questions. Well, you've got a 30-year footprint in this industry, which I think people maybe forget like the longevity you've had I, for, I forget it sometimes when I <laughs> when a movie of mine from a long time ago comes on TV or somebody says oh I remember you in Witness or something yeah. like that I think about what year that was and who was president and what was happening in the world and what was happening in my family and I'm sort of surprised wow it's been a long time it has I think the process ideally the process of learning how to participate in, in telling stories it, in the movie business is one where you're constantly throwing curveballs and you have to adapt all the time and be flexible and try to ideally improve in your craft and your way of working with people and dealing with your nerves and so time kind of in that regard flies and I feel like I'm continuing to learn things you know I mean obviously for Captain Fantastic it's the role I play in that movie I used everything I knew that I've learned until now, you know, in some ways that role had a a complex journey emotionally, so I kind of was able to use my accumulated understanding or the lessons I've learned as as someone who works in this business, but there's always things you can do better, so you thinking about that and being in the moment of you know learning and oh that's the way this director does stuff or that cinematographer or that's a different way of approaching acting I hadn't seen that. you lose sight of how many years go by as you're, yeah. as you're hopefully learning to do a better job each time. What's, what's been your secret, I guess, to longevity, to the endurance, sticking in this business for so long at such a, and, and performing at such a high level for so long? Well, I think you have to be lucky. I mean, you have to get opportunities, but you also have to be ready for those opportunities. You have to work and you have to be prepared and, you know, to, so that you can not only take advantage of you know, a good role if it comes along or a good opportunity, but to even recognize that it's an opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, to pay attention, watch movies, um, study the way people do things. Uh, when you read material that you want to audition for or that you'd like to have a shot at, um, have a, have a, have a reliable way of imagining what it might be, what the potential of the material is. It's all subjective, obviously. I mean, when I pick things among what is possible, you know, what I'm offered or what I have a crack at auditioning for, I'm always looking for stories that I'd love to see in the movie theater, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of whether I'm in them or not. When I read the script for Captain Fantastic, I thought, wow, this is really... Uh, really rich material I mean a lot of characters all individuals um, a lot of complicated changes along the way a lot of transitions really well written it's an amazing blueprint for a movie and I I can't wait to see this movie even if it doesn't turn out as as great as the script is because it's Mm -hmm. a lot it's a big ask you know Mm -hmm. Matt Ross the writer director you've got so many different characters you're moving from location to location almost every day. You're working with kids, yeah. some very young, who have limited work hours. It's an independent movie. We don't have limited funds or schedule. 
it's a big ask and you're shooting outdoors a lot you're I mean, providing a nice table of contents for this interview uh, by the way <laughs> well, there could be there could be a lot that could have gone wrong with it and and you read a, a script like captain fantastic and you think wow this is wonderful this is if they even make a movie half as good as a script it's going to be a really good movie mm-hmm. in other words i don't think you could make a bad movie from the script mm-hmm. it would be hard but to make one as good as this a lot of you have to be lucky and you have to work really hard in terms of the casting you have to find six extraordinary young actors mm-hmm. to start with mm-hmm. then you hope to find the caliber of actors in, in the supporting parts you know the grandparents we had Frank Langella and Ann Dowd they're incredible in the movie uh, my sister and brother-in-law and their kids we had you know Catherine Hahn Steve Zahn and and two you know young men who were who were amazing as well I mean every every it was done with a lot of care very well prepared and we did get lucky during the shoot, you know, just we had a good connection. We had a, but, but, but it's not just that we were lucky, actually, it's that Matt Ross led by example and made us all feel yeah. comfortable. And he had, uh, he wasn't afraid to say, well, I'm not sure. Let's just try it. I don't have an answer for your question, but I'm listening to you. I'm watching you. Mm-hmm. We're in this together. We're going to get it done as a team. It's not about, it's not a story about any one mm-hmm. person. Uh, I'm not favoring any character or any aspect of the story this is a true uh, forward-thinking ensemble yeah of actors you know it's like this is a team effort and and that shows in the movie i mean not only does it really feel like we're family the six kids mm-hmm. me their mother um and the other relatives but there's a something that comes off the screen yeah i think it's there's something tangible there you know you can almost touch it you can feel the the unity and the thought process the transitions that people make I mean, it's rare that a movie turns out that way yeah i'm gonna, i'm definitely going to dig in more on that in just a second uh i wanted to talk about this special that i i came across on the internet i went i had a friend over at the house yesterday and we were just looking at some old stuff on youtube and i don't know if you remember this there was this after school special called high school narc i remember like 1985 1985 yeah, yeah you played this like burnout aviator shades wearing guy in and high school owner in high school oh, yeah long blonde hair nancy travis was in that thing there's a lot of character actors in it actually people that i recognize i was like oh that, that guy that later worked and, yeah. and had careers yeah nancy i remember she was she seemed just beautiful I, I was lucky to ride to manhattan after work with her once in one of the cars it was taking the actors back and forth um yeah that was a movie that was part of the you know after school specials i think they were called from abc yeah and you know i was the year before i had done I had a break and gotten a small part in, in the movie Witness, Peter Weir's Witness, opposite Harrison Ford and Kelly McGillis and Alexander Goodenough. So you shot Witness before this? Yeah, in the That's summer of 84. It came out in 85. But, you know, it didn't... It was a job, but then there was a long dry spell, and this was a lucky break. It wasn't much money, but it was a job. So I think we shot it out in Yonkers at some high school. <laughs> and, um, you know, that was a period, Reagan presidency... The say no to drugs, the sort of intense anti-drug campaign, and this was kind of, a, I think, a byproduct of that. It, it was sort of a clumsy story, as I recall. I mean, the, the kid who was the infiltrator, who we weren't <laughs> supposed to realize wasn't just like us, uh, who worked for the, you know, the police, who was the narc. Uh, it seemed pretty obvious. He was quite know. obviously a narc. <laughs> yeah, wearing his, he clumsy. had like a denim, sleeveless denim vest thing going on. And he was kind of handsome in his way. <laughs> kind of like, you know, yeah, the girls looking at him and everybody seeming to not realize that he was 
definitely not one of us but anyway particularly when they try to get him to smoke with them and he's like nah man i can't i can't <laughs> could you not <laughs> more obviously be a narc <laughs> i don't know what he said do you uh i, I wanted to talk about those early days though uh mm-hmm. you know hustling for gigs trying mm-hmm. to break in what do you recall of that time and what stayed with moving you? furniture and bartending and oh yeah <laughs> selling ice creams and doing whatever no i mean i what i remember is it was frustrating many times as it is for most actors as they're getting going um right out of the gate though i i was getting to screen tests you know i'd have callbacks and get down to the final two or three actors Sometimes for really good movies, you know, Greystoke, for example, um, where it was down to the wire and, you know, you're flown somewhere, you do a real full on screen test and then lots of tests for other movies and TV things. I mean, probably 25, 30 times I got down to two guys and I thought, well, this will be the one, mm-hmm. this will be the one. And it, and it wasn't. But what I realized in retrospect is that I was getting a lot of experience working with the camera, working with different characters trying to listen and see what the director or the casting director was asking me to do to you know to modify to change you know you just learn the most important thing which is to listen Mm -hmm. so that you can react um, and to incorporate suggestions to be able to be flexible change gears you know Mm -hmm. all of that helped me as part of you know my learning process my apprenticeship I guess you'd say, and uh, yeah, I bet it, it was a dry spell. It was for a while, you know. I did a little theater here and there, a little odd job on TV. I think in '85, I also <laughs> did another thing, which you can see on YouTube. I played this character named Bragg on a, on a what was at the time the oldest uh, continuously running soap. Uh, Search for tomorrow. Search for tomorrow. Yeah, I saw the was, Letterman clip of this. Yeah, and on Letterman, he showed his name was Bragg. He was a smuggler. San Marcos. <laughs> San Marcos. There you go. And that was in that period. So I was just like lucky to get any work, you know, and I was doing the best I could with everything. But they were they were pretty silly, both of those projects, I suppose. You know, well, I know they are, were. But, but you little, know, you still, you whatever part, you're, you're trying to, yeah. you do the best you can with each character. That's the deal. I, Always. I encourage everyone to YouTube uh, San Marcos, Vigo Mortensen. It's pretty <laughs> hilarious. Uh, Let's move into into Captain Fantastic. A, a number of people have said that they felt like you were born to play this role. Uh, I'm curious if, if you feel that way or just more specifically, was it a very easy character for you to slip into the skin of it? No, it wasn't necessarily something I would be born to play. I think what people are looking at is when they've seen me in other movies, whether it be Lord of the Rings or The Road or Hidalgo or... If you've seen it, Far From Man, which is also something, it's a two-character story. It's a French movie that I did in Algeria, I mean, in, in North Africa. It's supposed to take place in Algeria. It's in the mountains. It's rugged. It's, you know, in other words, characters that are one of the obstacles in their stories is the landscape and that they're out in a natural environment, sometimes a challenging one. Um, deserts, mm-hmm. forests, cold, heat, you know. Um because people see you playing characters that that, that are in those environments um, sometimes and and you seem handy and you seem like you can you know handle yourself in those environments um, they think oh well, that's what he's like that's easy for him it's second nature and that's not necessarily true that, that people think that that's great that means I, I convinced them that I could but mm-hmm. it's like actors who play 
doctors or soldiers and maybe have never done that mm-hmm. probably haven't and they do it convincingly sometimes and then you see them play a doctor another time well that's easy for him he's he's kind of a doctor mm-hmm. it's like well no it's acting yeah so so yeah i mean i think it's it's fine that people think i was born to play it in some sense as far as i'm concerned not that i was born to play it but like i, w- I was saying to you earlier the role in terms of the emotional journey and the transitions I have to make, the relations with the six kids, the contradictions within the character where he says one thing, he does another, he seems really great at times and really open-minded and anti, you know, dictatorial behavior and intolerance, and yet he behaves in an intolerant way at times, Mm -hmm. even arrogant it seems. He's a character that you change how you feel about him as you're watching him and he changes how he feels about things as he goes along and that he's schizophrenic he's just like a human being who contradicts himself sometimes mm-hmm. very very human uh, who unquestionably loves his kids um, is really hard working really passionate all these aspects I mean on my experience not just as an actor in different roles whether it be in the outdoors or not or with kids or not um, but also my personal evolution just as a human being uh, throughout these years that I've been doing acting as my line of work uh, all came together and helped me you know in other words if 10 years ago I was given this role I don't think I would have been able to make the most of it I right. was ready and it was sort of it's been you know in retrospect this playing this role was a kind of a culmination you know and who knows where I'll go next but this was like okay I got to use all the tools that I've learned um, in this trade mm-hmm. I suppose in that role it was a, it was a role that in, in, in subtle ways in a lot of things but it demanded a lot a even lot the of things focus. you learned playing Bragg maybe found maybe their way into some it. of those sure <laughs> <laughs> what was the camaraderie like uh, on the set, especially with these uh, younger actors? We talked about them a little bit. Uh, that, that's it was great. I mean, it was one of the smartest things that Matt did, as far in, in terms of those six actors that played my kids. There's three boys, three girls. If you haven't seen the movie, um, ranging from the ages of seven to about seventeen in this story, and um, Matt included me in the final rounds you know for the last candidates for each of those six roles so I got to see what the possibilities were Matt got to see smart on his part he got to see how I would more or less play the part to Mm -hmm. some degree at least initially Uh, and it was a you know it was a head start for me in terms of you know because I had been worried like I said you know if we don't find six geniuses to play these kids there's a limit to how good the movie can be in terms of trying to be as great as the, the script once I saw these auditions and participated in them, I, I realized, oh, they're great. It's, yeah, that's not going to be a problem. In fact, I better get going, you know, because mm-hmm. these kids are really bright and really engaged and passionate. And then the other thing that Matt did, which was, which was really necessary and, and very helpful to that, that camaraderie, you know, to, to that when you watch the movie, that you really believe this is a family and that they've been living together for years mm-hmm. um, is we had a couple of weeks a sort of boot camp where we had to necessarily get familiar with the group activities that you see in the movie rock climbing martial arts playing music together mm-hmm. 
stuff in the woods, you know, that has to do with hunting and tracking and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And that also helped us get to know each other really well. By the first day of shooting, we were really familiar with each other and each other's rhythms, um, senses of humor, you know, all the things that you need mm -hmm. to, to, to get across that it's a real family. And uh, that was immensely helpful. And it always helps as an actor if not only the cast but the crew is really into the story. You know, everybody that was working on this movie, whether we were in the woods of Washington State or on the road between Washington State and New Mexico or in the summer heat of southern New Mexico, all these people were passionate about the story. They were really glad they were in, we were part of the team telling the story. And um, that helps a lot because, you know, you can work on movies or TV shows where it's just a job. You still technically, you know, you're, you have pride in your work, whether you're a sound man or a gaffer or an actor or a director or a writer. So you do your best with what's at hand, but maybe it's more just a job than a passion mm -hmm. project. There's a big difference between that. People can be polite, they do their job, you do your job, you're professional and so forth. There's a big difference between that kind of vibe and working on something where everybody's wanting the scene to turn out great because everybody's one more step in telling the story, wanting it to be as good as the script that you love. It's having a supportive audience in that sense, not just because they're nice and polite, because they really want it to work. Mm -hmm. It helps you immensely. You know, it helps you not feel silly, you know, <laughs> making believe in front of them, basically. It helps yeah. you make those emotional transitions that you might have to make in, with your character because you're, you're on the same team. Everybody's with you. It's like a, you really feel the help of others. That thing that you don't see on screen which is the atmosphere on the set each day, you, can, you can't see it, but you can feel it. You can feel that there's, a, there's just a, a positive vibe coming off the screen. That, that's something you can feel with this movie for sure. Yeah. You know? And that's a result of everybody working together in, in, in the right way, not just getting lucky or not just having a good script or a good director. Talk a little, speaking of the director, talk a little bit about Matt Ross, also an actor. I think a lot of people will know him from TV Silicon Valley. Do you watch Silicon Valley? Yeah, yeah, he's great in it. And, yeah. you know, the character he plays in that, and the, what was the name of the one he did it with the Mormons? Um, you know, that, uh, God, what was that show called? Oh, yeah, Big Love. Big Love. Big Love. You know, yeah. he was great in that, too. And, and he's been in movies. I mean, people don't realize how many movies he's been in. He's played lots of characters. And, but he's often played kind of nasty or selfish kind of characters. He does it really well. Silicon Valley is another guy like that. And uh, he's such, I don't know, have you met him? Matt? I've never met Matt. He's, uh, maybe I'll meet him today. Okay. Because uh, uh, we're doing an event later yeah. that I think you guys are coming to. But anyway, he's, uh, he's really warm, great family person and uh, very sensitive and as an actor he's the kind of actor who's really interested in what other actors do he's obviously one of those actors that prepares his role but then let's see what you bring to it um, that kind of actor when they direct can be really helpful to actors mm -hmm. you know? there are some actors who direct and aren't as helpful because probably because they're the kind of actors who prepare their their role and then come on to set and expect everybody to adapt to them they're not there to play they're just there to get across what they want mm -hmm. you know 
there's nothing wrong with that. You know, people do good work doing that way. I happen to think it's more fun when someone comes in and goes, I'm really well prepared, but like, what do you got? Yeah. Let's see, maybe it'll change. Maybe mm-hmm. it'll improve what I've prepared, you know. Mm-hmm. He's like that. And so, consequently, when he works with actors as a director, he understands their process. He tries to learn. He knows that each actor's process is a little different and their personality is a little different. And he tries to get to know them and help them and make them feel comfortable. Not just the little kids, but all of us. Yeah. And he was great. Even with Frank Langella, who's a tried and true veteran of stage and screen, you know, he was concerned. He came in saying, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I am antagonistic I mean I'm an obstacle I'm uh, another point of view in the story to this family and to the character Vigo's playing but I don't want to be antagonistic I don't want to just be a cardboard cut out mean guy or something Mm -hmm. and Matt said no 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 that's not what I intended and what I wrote and I certainly don't want that and you know he listened to him and they worked together and when you see Frank Langella you meet the grandfather you're thinking oh he's going to be an ogre from the things you hear Mm -hmm. early on in the story when you finally meet him and the grandmother played by Wait, another great actor, Ann Dowd. Um, they're very reasonable. It's clear they love these kids, love their daughter. They respect me, but they disagree with the way we're doing things, and some of their suggestions are very sensible. So <clears throat> it's one of those stories that's layered, you know, where there is no real bad guy, real good guy. You know, it's about mm-hmm. family and it's about communicating, you know, yeah. as a family, but it, you could say, you could extrapolate it to society you know I think there's it's one of those movies that come along every once in a while that are well made and and have their pulse on what's going on in society right now right Mm -hmm. now in our society in the United States obviously there's we have a lot of communication problems Mm -hmm. even though we have so many devices to communicate uh, better than ever with each other we're not listening to each other it's not just the politicians who who are polarizing society and media who's covering it that way mm-hmm. because it sells and creating all this conflict all of that reflects something that's really going on in society there's a we have a communication problem yeah absolutely <laughs> and um, I think this movie speaks to that speaks to the benefit of actually listening and engaging with people that especially with people that you disagree with um, that you've been brought up to think are dangerous or misinformed or ignorant or bigoted or whatever yeah it's like you got to talk. You got to, you know, to evolve, you got to work together. Yep. Yeah. Well, I wanted to play a little bit of a speed round with you here. Speaking of, you know, your director, Matt Ross, some other directors you've worked with. I'm mm-hmm. just curious what you might have learned from a few of these, uh, if anything comes to mind. I'm just going to well, throw some names hear, at I'm, you. I'm not great at the short answers, but I'll try. <laughs> I realize it's, this is, okay, it's a challenge. We'll try it. We'll try it out. Sean Penn. Um, Indian Runner. Boldness. We'll try, I'll try to give you one Let's word Let's go answers. with that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Brian De Palma. Um, respect for cinema history, particularly uh, Hitchcock. Yeah, that's very apparent in all of his work. The late, great Tony Scott. Loved making movies, loved working with his crews and his actors. One of the mo- one of the reasons it was so shocking that he uh, that he left us the way he did 
was that I've never seen a director have more fun on a set than Tony Scott. Uh, Kevin Spacey, Albino Alligator, which is a movie I kind of liked quite a bit in the Mm -hmm. mid-90s there. Uh, He should try it again. Yeah. Yeah. Gus Van Sant. A gentleman uh, who is not afraid to take chances uh, certainly not remake one of the more, psycho shot yeah, shot exactly one of the more intelligent uh, directors in the United States of, of the sort of uh, established directors I guess uh, David Cronenberg who you've worked with a couple times without equal um, in the pantheon of great living directors in world cinema He's right at the top of the list, I think. I mean, his his trajectory is 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 incredible. He's someone who seems when I've worked each time I've worked with him, I've had luck, the good luck to be in three of his movies. He doesn't seem like someone who's seventy years old and has been making movies for between forty and fifty years. And he seems like a a guy just out of the, the smartest guy that just graduated from film school. His enthusiasm, his his innovative approach to storytelling uh, I think the fact that he each time out is almost often changes genre changes rhythm changes you know, it's almost like a different director mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times is impressive There's, it's very rare that a, a really well established internationally well known and respected director when they get into their 60s and 70s even their 50s uh, it's very rare that they keep experimenting, they keep challenging themselves, keep pushing the envelope, mm-hmm. uh, personally and professionally, in terms of movie storytelling. It's very rare that that happens. Usually people sort of calcify and they stop taking chances, or they just repeat what they do. It happens to actors, too. But he's he's remarkable in that regard. And then the last one on here, I just I wanted to mention Ed Harris. I love him personally, and I love his work, and I love westerns. And you guys did Appaloosa mm-hmm. together, so Ed Harris. Yeah, he was. He's also someone who's really smart. He, he prepares really well. Prepares the actors. Prepares what he wants to shoot very well. He has a, I think he has an innate understanding of storytelling, probably from his years of work in the theater and the movie business. He's paid. He's obvious that he's paid a lot of attention. To how movies are shot and how to do it well and how to prepare yeah. really well. I mean, preparation is, is extremely important for the actor, for the director, especially the director, because once that first day of uh, shooting starts, once that train leaves the station, there's not a lot you can modify along the mm-hmm. way. There are some things, but you really have to have the, the bones of the story, what you're going to do, what you intend to do, that has to be really well prepare and he's very good at that and I, I can't wait to see another movie directed by him he's, he's extremely gifted and then the last question I have for you I, I, I don't even know if I have a question I literally just wrote down election uh, before I came in here election yeah just be you know whatever we're you recording do this, don't not vote well let me just say we're recording this the day before the election uh, <laughs> yeah. it'll it'll publish after we yeah. have the results yeah. uh, you know you've been very adamant about you you were a supporter of bernie uh, early on and then uh now you're a supporter of jill stein yes I am. rather than getting into s- supporting candidates versus not I, i'm kind of curious i guess about the media and all of this how do you think the media has performed this election cycle 
uh, mainstream media extremely poorly. Um, I think they've accepted that this should be just a you know personality fight. They've accepted, which is not unusual. It's it's the norm, unfortunately, that just because Jill Stein or Gary Johnson or anybody else that would have a- actually provided provocative questions and answers about issues that are not discussed in, in, in any profound way on, in the three debates that we've seen, which have been mm-hmm. basically a sham. I mean, you're not speaking, maybe mentioned in passing something like climate change, foreign policy in a meaningful way. What exactly are you planning to do? What have you been doing, uh, Madam Secretary of State? What? Uh, show me on the map, uh, where's Syria, Donald? Where, mm-hmm. <laughs> where's Baghdad? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where's Honduras? You know, I mean, just, I mean, really talking about what are you doing? What are, about healthcare? What would you actually do? You know, talking about uh, Black Lives Matter, you know, what you feel about that? What do you th- feel about the community? problems in certain communities with the police Mm -hmm. Um, what do you feel about the electoral system what do you think about the electoral college Um, do what do you feel uh, what about the problem of the you know the corruption or about money in in political campaigns I mean all these tricky subjects what about defense spending what do you mean make America great again what does that mean Mm because they're both saying that in some way Mm -hmm. or the promise of America or let's return to these values what are you talking about exactly? They're not put to the test, and the media goes along with that. Um, there was an exception where, for a short time, on uh, Democracy Now!, which is you know, a public uh, kind of TV thing, uh, I think after the first couple debates of the three, uh, they allowed Jill Stein the day after to, to be on a split screen and sort of answer the questions after Hillary and Trump, as mm-hmm. if she were in the debate, sort of a virtual participation. Mm-hmm. And that was that was good. It's not like a lot of people saw that. And but even they, after a while, stopped talking about her and other alternatives. And I think that this every election cycle you get the same thing where people go, well, you know, yeah, it's fine, climate change. It's fine to talk about the pipeline and the trade thing and in detail to talk about real problems affecting real Americans. But this is in the moment. Right now, we're dealing with an important thing. You know, it's like this personality, this fight. Mm-hmm. these basic issues it's like no this is the time I mean mm-hmm. it should always be the time but especially during an election you should be talking about all these things they're not being discussed you know what's what, what are the pro- what is the what to do about it, immigration problems what to do about um, well-intended citizens having you know blatantly not even realizing it sometimes racist pre- you know prejudices um, misinformation about the United States and its place in the world and mm-hmm. what we actually do mm-hmm. outside our borders as a government, as a military power, as an economic power. These things need to be discussed. You know, It's, yeah. it's good to inform yourself, and I, I don't think the media has done much there. I mean, even I agree Democracy you. Now! decided not to speak with Jill Stein or talk about her anymore because I think maybe, I don't know, I suspect that there's pressure from above to, well, this race is now tightening up, and we got to really put our lot in with Hillary, or in some cases, you know, if you look at Fox as well, we got to put our lot in with Trump, whatever the case may be. It's a simplistic choice, and each time, this time's no exception. I've had friends and strangers come up and say, well, you're really, it's very ignorant, naive of you, and you're, you know, it's a wasted vote. You're, mm-hmm. you're helping Trump, or you're, you know, you're a patsy. You're elitist, I mean, worse things. 
It's like, you know what, I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and go, you know what, I never voted my conscience. And I always was seduced or convinced that I was dumb. And I, you know, I was always convinced to take this very American kind of winning is all, mm-hmm. short-term mentality. And then people don't think for four years. And then it comes again, and then you gripe about it. And, well, I'm not going to vote. They're just stupid. And if you think you're really smart, it's like, well, don't vote. Don't be an idiot. Mm-hmm. It's like... When you don't vote, you're voting against yourself almost definitely. Yeah. Your interests. And so that, that is, not voting is a vote. That's yeah. stupid. Um, the fact that, that in the midterm elections two years ago, it was like in the 30s percent wise, mm-hmm. the, the, the amount of people that voted mm-hmm. that were eligible to vote, that's embarrassing Absolutely. in any democracy. The fact that tomorrow we'll be lucky to get to 60%, I guess, mm-hmm. is embarrassing. Mm-hmm. You got to take part. Well, whoever you're going to vote for, I'm voting for Jill Stein and the Green Party. But don't not vote. Yeah. While this is after the fact, but I hope you voted. I hope yeah. you voted. <laughs> As do I. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you again, Vigo. The movie is Captain Fantastic. Check it out when it comes out on Blu-ray, DVD. Uh, what's the date? Is it out now? It's out now. Check it out on Blu-ray and DVD right One now. One last thing about that. I didn't finish the thought about. When I say, you know, people say you're, it's, you know, it's naive, it's short-term. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to think long-term. You've got to start building something. Mm-hmm. We, it would be really healthy for our democracy if we could have alternative parties that really were effective. You know, it would be great if Jill Stein could get 5%, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, why? Because then she would get matching funds and they would be able to to get a voice you know in the media a little bit more they would be able to buy ads not just for this election but going forward so that in regional government you could have people who are actually talking about real issues that's how you build you know mm-hmm. a, a good coalition where people feel like they're for a change really represented by their politicians you know mm-hmm. that that's that's simply why I, I try to look at it long term it's like i'm not going to just think about tomorrow and be intimidated well let me, let me into not voting my conscience let me ask though isn't the short term on this particular election pretty extreme it is yeah yeah uh, i mean i have my feelings about voting for a third party this time around but i, I almost want to ask you is do you vote in california i do okay in california just to be practical the yeah. way it's set up hillary's going to win yeah absolutely. by a landslide in california so you're voting if you were to vote for joe stein here wouldn't matter no it wouldn't matter but in the national total mm-hmm. it does matter do you vote here vote, as well yeah every vote counts so you can safely vote in california yeah. for joe stein and be another drop in the bucket to help her maybe get to that five percent and have matching funds just to have a voice would just you so that there's a bit more of a, a better discourse next time around would you feel differently if you lived in florida if, if that's where um, your vote came it's a tricky question but i don't know i i so as a person, I don't know her, but I so dislike her proven record, and especially in terms of foreign policy, mm-hmm. you know, Hillary Clinton's, yeah. and uh, and her, um, regardless of her exoneration by Comey, a parent at the moment, she is, she is a politician with a history of very questionable connections to Wall Street, mm-hmm. and problems with telling the truth mm-hmm. continually i she's not a person that i trust she's not a person that i'd want representing me you know um frankly so it would be hard i think i would still vote for joe stein even if i was voting in florida but certainly voting in california i know it's not gonna yeah help trump but it will help the greens up their percentage it's a fair point 
Well, as we say, we hope you all voted. And uh, everybody check out Captain Fantastic. Vigo, thank you for coming on the thank show. Thank you man. so much. Appreciate it. Yep. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe and check back next week for a jam-packed holiday special featuring Jackie star Natalie Portman and producer Darren Aronofsky. You've been listening to Playback at Variety. Variety.